0: Welcome to Beyond the Buzz with Brendan Osborne. In each episode, we dive deep with high-performing entrepreneurs, world-class athletes, and those whose existence make this world a better place. They walk the walk,
1: they talk the talk, have knowledge through experience, and let their
0: success make the noise. Thanks for joining us today. It's time to reach your potential.
1: Looking forward to this one today, guys. The amazing guest we have on, we have Kurt Fernley. So for those of you who don't know Kurt, Kurt is a three-time gold medalist. He's completed 64 marathons that is and 43 of those coming from wins and he's finished every single one. So he's heading off to the Paralympics <laughs> soon in Rio which is the team captain. So we go in depth into what his approaches for that, his mindset towards his training, how he even talks to himself, his self-dialogue his approach with coaching has he kept the same coach so awesome awesome content today guys I'm really looking forward to sharing this one with you and stay tuned for the end we'll have links to where you can grab Kurt's book and there's going to be a special podcast offer with that where you can actually get a copy of his signed book for the price of an unsigned copy so link through to the show notes on that one guys so thank you so much for joining me and let's get into it Okay, so joining me on the podcast today is a good friend and really needs no introduction. And a lot of you will know of him and uh, all the amazing things that he's done and what we're going to get into today. And it's Kurt Fernley. Thanks for having us today, mate. No problems. So to jump straight into it, you when you arrived here, you were pretty wrecked. Why were you wrecked, and
0: what's going on in your life? Training, mate. We're six months away, six weeks away now from the Rio from the Paralympics. It's my fifth, it's by far, it's the most I've, I've invested in these games for, I would say since Athens really. The amount of effort that's been required, the amount of effort that I've been willing to give has just been, you know, unprecedented since then. It's a good way to go into the games, but it's exhausting and that's the hardest thing for the last six weeks from the finish of one session to the start of the next is just the toughest part. So, why the emphasis on Rio? It's my last. Your last one. Yeah, hands down. I just, after I finished London, I knew I had one more, but I knew I didn't have two. And yep. it was clear. It has been clear since the day I left London. Now, six weeks out, I still feel the exact same way, but it's, it's made it a lot easier to invest everything into because you know it's the last one. You know it's the combination of 20 years.
1: And is every effort and going into. It may seem like a silly question, but is the ultimate thing goal gold or is it just like I'm just going to go as hard as I can and I'm not really in control of
0: the outcome? No, it's tears really. Like you, you, you're always, you have the the expectation and you know that on your day, if you if you do what you know you can do well, you can potentially be the best in the world at it. Like I know that now. Yep. And I also know that you can go into a games and be the best you've ever been and you can Feel like you're you almost deserve that gold, but nobody deserves anything. Not in racing, not in sport. Yeah, they they earn it, and and even if you feel like you've earned that gold medal, it may not fall your way. So you got to be, you got to be one driven to. Uh, in my opinion, I have to be driven to believe that I can be the best. Otherwise, I'm not going to turn up and act like I'm the best. We've had a mic drop.
1: So I guess where I head with that one is what's the difference with trying to win the gold here. And your mindset towards never winning a gold. So leading into your your first Olympics or before your first gold, is is there a different frame of mind knowing that you've done it? Does that give you any
0: security about being the best you or did you always have that underneath? When I first started, you just, you had no idea. You like, you bounce around the, the racing field with just naive kind of excitement that you just, you invest you invest heavily in it, but you have no idea what the outcome will be. You have no idea what it feels like to be the best in the world until you've you've crossed that finish line. And as a young kid, I think I just wanted to see how far I could go. When you figure out that your best is the best, you want that again. Yep. So, so now, now I want I want that absolute best one more time.
1: All right. So. With with achieving that, do you have an idea of what that feels like, or are you are you tapping back into past memories, or are you like have you created a new scenario in your mind? Like, I'm really just trying to dive into what, on
0: a daily basis, do you think about and what motivates you? I'm tapping back into, I feel like I am anyway. Tapping back into the the motivations I had when I had nothing around me, bar racing. Yep, Athens. It was. I was 23. I just, you know, lived it, breathed it. So this year, I've quit every job that I created over the last six years. Yep. I, have worked hard outside of sport to create a few things that I, I enjoyed being a part of. That were, that were, you know, there were things that I will go back to. But at the moment, I just knew I needed one more crack at nothing, and, and except for that racing field, so. I feel like I feel like I've put the same intensity and the same feelings of what's needed out of myself that I'm 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 tapping back into that young that young fella and I'm going faster. I'm feeling strong when I'm training, but man, it's hard outside of training. (laughs) Like it's just dragging yourself through life. I could I couldn't do anything at the moment except for training. It's
1: tough. So when you're on the road and it is tough and you're pushing through, do you naturally sink into a headspace that you can? You don't know how you do it or do you consciously try to think of things? What keeps you going?
0: At the moment what keeps me going is knowing that it's my last. Yep. So if I need a reminder about what I'm doing, about why I'm in this state, about you know the, the whole fatigue or that I have to spend a month away from home, I remind myself that I've got six you know, the Paralympics are six weeks away that I've got, I've just got that left after 20 years and you remind yourself of that. It's a fairly powerful motivator. And just
1: give me an insight as to and the audience an insight into, like, what's that script look like? Like, what's the internal dialogue? It's self-talk. Yeah, yeah, and what what
0: type of things? Um, Is it come on or is it like, you've got this, like... Depends. It can go anywhere from you've got this you're the absolute best in the world. You're going to smash this thing to pull your head out your ass, you <laughs> bloody useless bastard, and just get through this damn half an hour session. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's whatever I need at that period of time.
1: And, and it's cool to highlight that because it's what everyone else goes through. But when you see it, and we can link this up in the video as well, we've, we've shot a, uh, a video of you training at the, the WellFit studio. And from an outside perspective it's just like relentless and I I feel like a lot of people won't be able to connect with it they're like well I just can't do that to myself so it's good to know that internal dialogues are all the same so with what you're saying you had a lot of other things going out on the outside of racing what types of things have you been into First, I reckon I reckon more than internal
0: dialogue, I need to hear it. Yep. So I actually talk to myself yep. constantly. Out loud? Yeah. That's cool. So I either need to say to myself in the morning what I'm trying to do, where I'm at, what needs to be done, remind myself that I can handle this day, this minute, this session. And a lot of the times I pull up in the car park outside <laughs> and you're just like, I'm going to smash this thing. So and I actually, I've learned that I need to hear it. So yep. I need to actually say that to myself. And I find that that helps. It's like a... A positive affirmation, yep. telling yourself that you're going to do this thing. You're not going to do it well. You're going to smash it out of the ballpark. And when I do have that positive self-talk going, I just, I go so much better. Yeah. The stuff outside of sport, I was on uh, an independent advisor to the NDIS. I was on a, a board that was sending volunteers abroad. We were Australian Volunteers International. It's uh, it's one of the biggest volunteer sending agencies in in the country and it's it changed the way that i see how we how we work with other countries how we develop relationships from other countries we don't want to send a volunteer overseas to do the job that a that a person on the ground could be getting paid for we don't we don't want to go there as if we're the the light of the world we want to go there to engage to create a relationship and make it mutual and if we create a mutual relationship from somewhere from vietnam to the middle east to africa if we create that mutual understanding that that both of you are learning, both of you are gaining. That we're not we're not the ones that are going to save the world. Who knows? We may be the ones that get saved out of this interaction. <laughs> they they really taught me that genuine need for a relationship, not a not a dictator, not a not a saviour, yep. but somebody who wants to create a positive thing on the ground in those countries. And that's that's the thing that the volunteer not only gets their benefit, but they bring that back home as well. And I really enjoy my relationship with those guys.
1: So beyond the advisory and I guess the direction of that movement, have you spent much time in other countries doing work
0: with different communities, different countries? Yeah, I've spent a bit of time in Africa in a couple of slums. There's the, the Kurt Fernley Centre, which is a little shed in the, the Rubin Centre in Nairobi, and one of the biggest slums. It provides education for well, a thousand kids a day, they get their only meal potentially from the Ruben South They also now are providing education for kids with disabilities every day. Before Syria became what Syria is, I spent a bit of time in one of the biggest Palestinian and Iraqi refugee camps there, working with kids with disabilities and also how we interacted, how those kids would interact with the education system yep so i was able to spend a bit of time not just with the kids in the classroom but also with the teachers in the educational setting yep and yeah, seeing having that discussion about disability and that there is a genuine desire that we need to educate our people with disabilities that was a pretty intense conversation but those those places around the world where you you interact with those kids. We need more. We as Australia, we're so isolated, and yep. we believe everything we bloody hear. <laughs> Somebody says that Syria is evil, and we're we're all yeah, you know, yeah. of course they are. I knew that first. And when you're there, you find that it's it's complex. Yeah, that there's good, there's bad. There's you know, I've one of the most loving communities that I was a part of there was when I was in Yarmouk. Yep. they were taking me home. They were just so generous with whatever it is that they had and. I think that I think that we need more of that engagement.
1: I think that's really cool and what I want to try to get the listeners to I guess identify with is using those experiences and different perspectives on life and actually make them a better person or their daily actions better. So because we hear in a lot of conversations like you'll talk about you, you may be complaining about your life or someone may be doing something and then they'll bring up a totally external community. And in, your, in the idea of it, it's like, oh yeah, I can understand how they're worse off. But it doesn't actually change how people act. So coming back from an experience like that, what changes about you on a daily basis? On a daily basis? Just something that's more tangible. Like you come back and you're like, all right, we need more of this, like I can see
0: how much worse of a position people are. This may sound crazy because you'd feel like you'd go over in those positions where you sit there and two-thirds of the world who require a wheelchair won't ever see a wheelchair. Yeah. There, and as a proud man in a wheelchair, I I saw that reality and I've become pretty comfortable with the idea that, I can't change the world, but I might be able to change this one kid's life. Yeah. Or I got back here and you would think that it would be, you would think that it would be just be grateful for what we have in Australia, just be grateful that I've got a wheelchair, be grateful. But it was more I got back home and knew that we were doing a terrible job, although it's so much better than what it is in most of the world. Like, again, again, the reality is that most of the world are doing it so much tougher than what people with disabilities in our country are doing. But when I got back home, I just thought that we are one of the most financial, well-resourced countries in the world, and we're still struggling with with educating people with disabilities. We're still struggling with providing enough equipment to people with disabilities so that they they, they don't see their disability as a sickness. Disability is not a sickness. Disability can be a perfectly natural part of life if you fund it enough so it can be that way. And I I got back home and that's actually what triggered me to get involved with the NDIS and it's what's triggered me to to pay a lot more of my energy into how disability is seen within our country and also to try and sink a bit of time into creating employment for people with disabilities within our country because there's no reason that we we are one of the most underemployed nations when it comes to people with disabilities. We are, I think it's second last in the OECD and like, it just makes no sense to me. So I came back home from seeing the most vulnerable people in the world and it made me want to play a greater role to making sure that our group are just perfect.
1: Yep. So with that, I guess, shock factor that will push you into action and where, if someone's not going to go or it, do you think someone must just hit some of these villages, hit other countries to get perspective or just even to get a bit more insight into, I guess, spurring that within yourself for an individual listener, what could, what's something they should do?
0: Maybe I, I think about, for me, I think about community. Yep. I think about passion. Think about, so for me, when I think about community, I think about I'm a teacher, so I think of where, where could I give back from that strain of things, whether it's working with, with welfare kids within the high school setting, whether it's, again, as a, a teacher and then as a, a, man, a, a man with a disability, I think, well, how can I be a part of my community of people with disabilities as well? But it's also how can I look after myself so I can put myself in the position to do that? You've got to be able to make sure that you've got a roof before you try and provide, provide. I guess, energies to, to help others. And that's the the oxygen mask
1: analogy for an aeroplane. It's like save yourself first so you can help others. But by all means, I also feel that you shouldn't be wait for the magical moment where it's okay to do it. Like You should be doing things in the process along the way. But
0: you should also, yeah, 100%, you, know, yeah. you should be looking after the... Community around you, or, or or following the the passion stuff, yeah. uh, the whole way through. But you do find people that kind of they jump into that world so intently that there will come a time where they will be the ones that need to be saved. Yeah. So they've got nothing that keeps motivating them, keeps pushing them through, or, or resources, or, or, or keeps a roof over their head, or, yeah. or, or or keeps relationships around them that are going to be there for the next sixty years, or even just keeps ties with home, with, with family, with community, so that when that job finishes or when that role or that wave or that, that desire stops, that it's not a cliff face. Yeah. That there's there's
1: a lot of different turns to take. Could that be linked into the people potentially having guilt for what they have when working with communities and stuff? Yeah,
0: maybe. Well, I, it's the guilt thing... I struggle with the guilt and pity and people have treated me with pity my entire life. Yeah. And I find pity's a cancer. Yeah. Pity lowers expectations of yourself. How's it how's a guy in a wheelchair meant to feel like he can be the CEO of a company, be the be the head of a household, be the be the prime minister if all he's experienced is pity. Mm. find it just degrades your expectation around you, degrades your value. I just don't find it at all helpful.
1: And and it's just not natural. Like I know even from my own experiences, when you are potentially with someone or you're in in an environment that you just don't know how to act in it, you do become this like blocked off sort of person and you're really worried, which again is a sense of pity, but it's not a natural thing. So and it
0: just doesn't help any situation whatsoever. Pity at all, no, no way. It also puts you above here. Yeah. And it puts the person who's utilizing that pity just out of the, out of that genuine relationship that is born. Yeah. No, no chance. Once pity's come into it, there's no chance of a, of a genuine relationship. And and guilt. Okay, where do you, if you're acting, if you're acting from a decent place, if you're if you're if you're there trying to help. If you're there trying to be a part, if you're there trying to create that general relationship, I struggle to see where guilt will help. Mm. And I think some good things you
1: said out of that, and hopefully what a lot of people picked up there is pity, your guilt, and all things are before you actually make an effort. If you just reach out and actually connect or you begin a relationship, all those things just disappear. Like it's really about you just being in your own headspace before you actually go into an uncomfortable situation as soon as you reach out and shake someone's hand or as soon as you actually, like, have a joke with someone, then you're like, oh, all those feelings are gone. They're so
0: – they're so, but they're all inhibiting of a general relationship. Yeah. They're all the things that are going to stop you from, from making that effort to create something either that you love or that you need or you feel will make this whole thing a bit better.
1: Yeah. A, a question that I've had and I've been thinking about throughout the week, it's something that I heard – Honestly, I think it would, probably would have been 10 or 15 years ago. It's around tunnel vision, Olympic athletes and gold medals. And I forget the exact stats, but it was around the thing of like, if you could get a gold medal today and or in the in your next meet and then die the next day, I'm not sure if you've heard of this thing, how many Olympians would do that. And the percentage, and again, uh, don't quote me on this, but it was very, very high. It was like 70 or 80% of them said that If I could get a gold medal and die the next day, I'd be fine. So I wouldn't say to ask you this question now, but if I was to ask 22-and-a-half-year-old Kurt,
0: what what would the answer be versus now? See, that's hard. (laughs) That's hard. The 22-year-old me, I was pretty single-minded. Yep. Yeah, I was very single-minded, and I hate to know what I would answer. Now... (laughs) Now I would sacrifice every win, every gold medal for one more day with my kid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that that's one of the biggest changes with family, with having a kid, with create, you know, get a, having a partner with Sheridan and, and Harry would be that. You know, I'd give everything up if somebody said you've got a one day here, you know, with everything, or two days here without any gold medals, without any. I'd take the two days every single day of the week at the moment. But yep. As a twenty-two-year-old, I was. Jeez, I didn't want too much more than that. <laughs> it was it's it's crazy. But that's why that's why you do what you do. That's why I guess you I you walk you walk away from relationships, you walk away from comfort, you walk away from income, you walk away from family to try and be the person that you believe you need to be to be the absolute best. And those initial years are very intense years. Awesome. And also just
1: letting everyone know here and on the live streams if we have any questions and that coming through or any engagement, make sure we hit those questions on the feed. Have we got a live feed coming? Yeah, live feed's on. Yep. It's my first ever it's my first ever live feed as well, so welcome. Very cool. So with do you already have plans post Rio? Like I know you you've really narrowed in, but obviously like you said you've got family, there are things beyond beyond the Olympics, so is it tapping back into what you've been doing
0: previous years before this year, or new things? Yeah, new things. Same field, but as far as the roles that I've played are done. Yeah. And it's nice to it's nice to be able to pivot in a different direction. Although it may it may be a similar direction, but not to the same seats that I've I've been in. I've got Commonwealth Games in 2018, which is a nice way to to not walk away from the green and gold after Rio. Yep. I know that I won't make Tokyo, but the thought of finishing the thought of thought of finishing my games experience at home, with all of my family, with all of my friends, with everyone that came to Sydney, with everyone that invested in us over the years, the thought of having them there on the finish line in Gold Coast. It's that's, you know, my next three years are planned out pretty heavily.
1: Yep. So pretty much just dedicated to the training side, pushing yourself
0: as hard as you can. Well, <laughs> <there's> oh, <something, laughs> there's something intense about what's required for a Paralympics or, or an Olympics compared to a Commonwealth Games. Yep. But a big chunk of life still will be about performance.
1: Okay. So more things that I've been thinking about, especially catching up this week, and we, we tapped a little bit on it before we started recording today, is the underlying drivers that, really push people forward rather than just, I guess, surface level words. Motivation's a massive, massive thing right now. A lot of people are spiriting it, talking it, but I guess where it falls down a lot of the time is that it doesn't transcend into long-term improvement, more of a short-term buzz. And I know that you've had a lot of experience giving talks, motivational talks and all those types of things. What What do you do when you prepare for that and try to in trying to get across a message that you feel that is really gonna impact people,
0: not just give them a bit of a buzz. Talking I always always try and talk. The thing I think the thing that I've always been told is that you're the only one that can share your story. Yep. And your story is unique. Every single every single person has a different view. And it's about trying to figure out relevant parts of your story that you think will stick and provide for for more than the thirty seconds that it's been heard. Yeah. For mine, it's it's trying to push that positive affirmation, trying to push the idea to figure out how you learn, to figure out how what what you need or how you need to hear or see things to to motivate you. I know I know I need to hear them. Some people might need to write it down. Some people may need to discuss it with a friend. Yeah. I don't need to discuss it with people. Yeah. Uh, I never have. Yeah. I don't need to. Don't need to write it down. There are some things that I do. I do jot down, but most of the time it's reflecting on a race and putting it down on paper. How I think I can win, what I think I've done wrong. But as far as day to day motivation and as far as what I would try and get through and talk is, utilize utilize everything and figure out what's right for you. Yep. I know that when I get out there, I need to ask myself some questions, and I, when I'm racing, I actually do. If I find that I'm struggling I'll ask myself who are you you know or if that question doesn't work I'll tell myself Well, I think I am yeah and that might be the really positive stuff or it might you know give me a bit of a kick but I, I know that that works for me and, and when I'm in front of a group I try and question them into what's going to work for them yeah and then also the idea of long term nothing happens in short term yeah no there's no win tomorrow yeah, There's a win a decade away if you're willing to start.
1: Which I, I feel like, it, and what you said there is amazing, like it's the main difference between what you hear now and then I guess the in-depth stuff or stuff that potentially was around 20 or 30 years ago where it was primarily about long game, moving forward, planning for the future. Now it's all about quick fix, quick hit, and then and not ultimately where you're going to be in 10 or 15 years. What What's going to be best for you then? So I guess when you're, when you're the best in the world and the high achievers will recognize with this, you always have an idea of an improved version of yourself. And then it's like you, you are where you are now, like you should be grateful for that and appreciate that. But then you've got a slightly heightened version, which you're striving to. And then there's a gap in between certain behaviors and actions that, that need to be met to meet that gap. When you are the best in the world, Do you still create a new entity? Or are you just like, all right, let's keep running this operating system now, it's served us well? Or do you just keep always creating, creating, creating? It's a new person and I don't like him very
0: much. (laughs) (laughs) He's a jerk. (laughs) But honestly, when you when it's really working, the person that you do create to to get there, I honestly don't I'm I don't know how to say it as plainer than this, is that I don't really I don't really like that person. (laughs) But that person's Play awesome, yeah. At, at what I do, you have very little care about the people around you when you're racing like that. When you're when you're on that stage, you don't give a crap about anyone. Yeah, you are so blinkers on. You are so aggressive. You have told yourself twelve months that this is this is who you are, and you deserve this, and you're strong, and you're fighting like hell. And part of it, I know that I believe that when you're representing, I'm a believer in sport. I love it. I love. I love the Paralympic stage. I love the Olympic stage. I love the Commonwealth Games. You know, I love all of that stuff. And for me, I believe you have to be fierce when you're there. That's one of the one of the certainties is that when you when you pull on the green and gold, you fight like hell and you be fierce in it. And I'm not like I don't feel I don't feel as content when I am that person. But that person is awesome at what he does. So I really do feel that you spend 12 months creating this persona, creating this belief, and then it'll take six months to get back to normal after it. Yeah. Hopefully not that long. I remember after Sydney, I was, you were so intense, gritting your teeth for months afterwards. Same yeah. with Athens. I don't think it will take as long for me to come down from these next games because... Of course, again, I cross that finish line and I've got Harry in my arms and it's pretty hard to be intense with (laughs) the young bloke there. I do believe that you have to create a secondary person that, that fits that stage.
1: And then when I guess you're always achieving to be more, what practices and what things do you do now to ground yourself again? So you're not always living in the future. What do you do to bring yourself back? You mentioned the young fella does that automatically, but do you do anything else to
0: sort of just... Let yourself settle. Not at the moment. Yep. Yeah. Just great. keep pushing through for these next six weeks. Yep. I don't mind not being in reality. My twenty-four hour day is in the chair at seven. I'm out at nine. By nine thirty, after I've eaten, I usually can barely hold a conversation. Yep. And then I, you know, you do recovery throughout the day. You're out again at three, and then again it's the same. I'm in bed by seven thirty. You know, it's not a lot of fun. In yep. This period of time. But I'm okay with that. And and how
1: do you get everyone in your life on the
0: same page with that? Is is it easy for an Olympic athlete? It's not. And that's one of the, the, some of the toughest things, some of the toughest things for an athlete is trying to manage, trying to give still to other people. Emotions, you know, understanding, care, when everything is Building this in, in, intrinsic view, yep. and I've seen athletes do it well, and I've seen athletes do it bad. I've been fortunate that I've got a very, a very, a giving bunch of people around me, or a very understanding bunch of people around me. Sheridan's is going into her third Paralympic Games now, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and she she tells me that and understands that. that and tells other people that it's a bit of a it is a bit of a tough time when you go into these games, and you just make sure, make sure that you enjoy the off season or you enjoy the the quieter years. And and but I I have seen so many athletes, so many athletes not be able to create that balance. And I think that would be the same in a lot of achievers' mindsets in terms
1: of business worlds, sporting worlds, academic worlds. So it's it's that tunnel vision. But important to have that support along the way, and does that support do they do they give you a little tap on the shoulder and to say, hey, you're pushing a bit too far this way, or like, yeah, or is get, it your own through experience now? Is it like yourself? It's like, oh
0: yeah, I can see where I'm at. <laughs> well, I think it's both both learning to to kind of bounce off, you know, to be able to communicate with each other, yeah. and and also just just understanding that although although at the moment everything's going into racing, you still need to be present yep. at home. And uh, it is a battle. And I, I swear to you, like, that is some of the hardest stuff is from the time you finish training till you start again four or five hours later. Yep. Because you've got to put time into the relationships, into being a dad still. But I, you also know that you're doing a bit of a half half ass job at the moment. But yep. it's just it's what's, what's required, I guess. And that's, I guess, attaching to
1: that long-term
0: vision, long-term, long-term forever. Yeah. I've been running on four year cycles since I was 16. Yeah. So long-term is (laughs) long-term.
1: And that's very cool. And that's very cool. So apart from your preps, your training, I'm really, obviously that requires a certain character and development of your own character throughout time, throughout experiences. What are some things or one thing in particular, when I say to you, right, what's a period of time in the last just say 10 years where you have just learned insane lessons developed crazy character that, that that serves you for the rest of your life could be the last 20 years anything any period of time that that comes up for you is it
0: training things i know there was a kokoda look well, they're all different but yep. they all fit in between games Yep. <laughs> so after sydney i learned how to make friends again yep <laughs> you know, like just even things like that during sydney you shut everything out. So that means all the friends that you made up until 2000, just, you know, you'd kind of, you'd stopped investing in them. And I made that, that was a mistake. Yeah. After Sydney, I went back to uni and I made a fresh bunch of mates, like with yourself and, yep. and you know, the group that are currently around me. And I learned that I don't, I don't let them go. Yeah. And so that was a pretty big, pretty big lesson. Yep. After that, 04 to oh eight. I learned a lot of that's where all the charitable intera- interaction came, where all the investment in understanding about where we sit and the role that can play because of the platform that you get given through sport, the role that can be played yep. outside of that. Since 08, I learned a lot about the relationship, making sure how important it is to have a partner with you and how how we can make everything easier and better and more challenging and more difficult, but overall, you know, so much more rewarding and amazing as well. And that was from 08 to 2012. That was a, the years where we were engaged and married. And, and Kakoda come into that as well. That was, you know, still a family thing. And since London, it's been family, the the young bloke. You know, every it's weird how everything is just you picture these windows as in <laughs> four-year windows where you just create a lot of a lot of growth within yourself. But you finish your games and you sit down and you plan the next four years. Yep. In a week after, you'll get that result and then you'll meet with my coach, with Dorsey, and you'll ask each other a few questions and then this four-year plan just falls in front and then it's about figuring out and creating the memorable moments outside of that. And are you allocating time to reflection?
1: Are you writing things down? or are you having just the conversations? How do you normally do that? He writes stuff down? Yep.
0: We talk. Do you mean me and Dorsey?
1: Uh, yeah, just in general, like w- when you come out of an Olympics and you're setting that next four years, how are you coming up with that plan and mindset
0: to what you're going to do? He usually, he has answers. Yeah. So, but after each games, he would come up and say, what we've done right or what we've done wrong? Yep. And he's he's had me since I was thirteen. Yep. So he's been coaching me since I was still crawling around the bush, crawling around carcore. So his his word is cement. Yep. His word is I don't know how you could create a relationship like that except for the twenty, you know, the twenty two years or so that has been invested in it. I have a lot of faith in what he tells me and. Each game, he's been able to tell me what's gone right, what's gone wrong, and ask me what I want out of the next four. And and how important do you
1: feel, regardless on what area someone is in, to have that mentor continually ongoing, not just for the, I guess, it would seem like it would be easy after two Olympics to go, I've got this now.
0: I don't. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how athletes coach themselves. Yeah. I don't know how athletes think that they can be a coach. Yeah. And... Particularly, I've been able to enjoy quite a lot of success in my sport. That I would hate to be the coach that an athlete compares themselves to. Dawsey is Dawsey's never pushed a wheelchair. Never, he's he's able bodied. He's he's not experienced in athletics. He is a coach. Yeah, he is about building that relationship and the trust and the experience through just getting in there and being a part of the whole thing and. He's been coaching now for thirty, uh, I'd say thirty years, close to, and I just, I just know I couldn't do his job. Yeah. I know I'm an athlete. I know that, I know that I can do what I'm do what I'm told. I know that I can bring a fair amount of intensity to that when I'm told to do something, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do the role that he's created because, often it's what he doesn't say that means the most. He could have sprayed me a million times. He could have pissed in my pocket a million times. <laughs> but he's, he he hasn't really done either. Yeah. Not unless, you know, I have to he, – he says things the way that I need to hear them.
1: And that unspoken vibe, is that something that you could feel – you could achieve with an online coach. I know that that's a big thing now, or is it just like you need to be around someone in person to really get a sense what they're about? I need to be there. Yeah, and I need to I need to see that they give a shit. Yeah, and, and that care factor—it's not—it's not a monetary thing. It's just for whatever reason they've just attached this belief in you. Yeah, and obviously it works two ways though. You, him pushing you, must bring out the best in him too.
0: Like for to, to continue that relationship. Yeah, see, that's why I don't know whether or not I could do that. Yeah, I could do that role because, like, that relationship is is so I I thrive off I thrive off somebody, I guess, investing time and belief and and ripping me through sessions because they know that I can handle it and and, but. I just know I don't have that strength to be the person who, who watches and I don't know. It's yeah. You know, I, I would almost want to jump into it and take and take over. Yeah. But the caution and the respect and the the long term patience involved in my sport in particular, I just I just couldn't imagine myself having. That's why a really special coach is worth holding on to. What's just coming up for me now, I'm feeling
1: like it would be almost like a proud dad moment. Like it's not an expectation on what's going to happen and you're not trying to control the outcome, but you will almost condition the environment. Like it's like putting the young guy in a park and knowing that he's going to run around having a great time and experiencing that versus
0: whatever he does. See, I I love (laughs) that. And I hope that I'm creating that sort of thing with Harry. I hope that I can... I can flatten out the pavement in front of him and, and not everything, but just do whatever I can to create the world that he requires to be whoever he wants to be. But I don't think I could handle the stress <laughs> of a, of an athlete. And I couldn't handle the, the I couldn't handle myself. I know I couldn't coach myself. So that's And
1: when you have those sit downs and when he comes up with new game plans for yourself, do you just sometimes look at what he says and just like go? no way I can do this. Or is it always like, I trust you, I'm just
0: going to do it. Yeah. That's 100% yeah it. That's cool. There are times where I turn up and I physically can't get through it. Yep. There are times where I turn up at the track and, you know, I'm one effort in and everything's shaking or I feel like physically, but he's, he's got the ability to change the session before I speak. If ever I've got to the point where I feel like I'm about to crack, he's already altered.
1: And does your mind ever give out before your body? Oh
0: <laughs> uh, no. No. My body's geez, my I would say my body's the by far the weaker of the two things. <laughs> That's cool.
1: Do we have anything coming through, Jacob? Uh, not yet, but i like to, is, has it always been that way? Has it always been the body the weakness or
0: I think that I think that my mind has got stronger and stronger over the years. I think that a lot of work, a lot of that self talk has helped. I think a lot of people have invested in me their belief, and that investment helps with the the affirmation. It kind of just feeds the whole thing. Where now, if somebody told me to, if somebody told me to crawl a thousand kilometres in that direction, my body would fall over before anything else. And I would say, as much as the work in the gym has been affected, or as much as the work in the chair has affected my body and the strength, the work outside of it is. It's built my it's built my belief stronger than that.
1: That's cool. And just we'll, we'll finish up pretty soon, but I, I just want to I guess tap into a little bit to like you and your book and the experience around writing
0: the book, reflecting on things. How was that for you? Sharing stuff often brings stuff back. Yep. I didn't I didn't foresee that. The more that you share, in that book is quite a personal experience to every reader. Yep, that, that that's you know, a half a day of a conversation that you're having with somebody. Yep. And so I didn't foresee I know I should have, but I didn't foresee the amount that would be shared back at you. Yeah. So I really enjoyed the process. I got to work with Warwick Green, who has now become a really close mate. He's wrote a few few handy books. And but I from the moment the book went out there I received feedback from people about how how that book helped them through abusive relationships or moments of self-harm or issues within families or a thousand different personal, personal things. Yep. And that I found pretty hard to get my head around when it was first released. But there is something nice to think that that book may have, may have started a conversation in a few few people's lives. And, you know, that's. I think that that conversation is key. Yep. That conversation can change and save lives. That conversation can make, make us as a community a lot stronger. That conversation and people feeling like they can talk about these things that otherwise create knots within ourselves, that makes that person stronger, their family stronger, their loved ones stronger, their their workplace stronger, and to think that that may have played a role there is pretty, however daunting, however however tiring it may have been at the time, it's it was a positive experience.
1: Okay. So just to finish off, one last question, and especially based on today's conversation, it might be a, an interesting one to think about. So let's just say you woke up tomorrow morning and headline on the papers were that all competitive sports were cancelled forever. We, we're going the way of the greyhound. <laughs> the greyhound, exactly. That's where it's come from. So it's cancelled forever. It's not even an option. So despite the initial reaction, what would be your plan of attack for life?
0: Mate, I would change it. Yeah. I'll create my world, mate. They don't. Yep. So. If, if somebody said that the world denied denied it, it was sport, I would change the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no way. There are certain things. I, I like to believe that we create our environment and... You know, there, there are things that I can do without. Sport is not one of them. But, but if, if, if personally, if within myself I woke up and I knew that sport wasn't there, uh, I would take a breath. I would find people passionate about what they do. I'd hang around those people and I'd find my path. That's cool.
1: It's very cool. And just to finish off, so for all the listeners, where, where's the best space or, or social media to connect with you at the moment? And also, anyone who hasn't read your book yet, where's the best space for or way to, for them to get that?
0: Yep, yeah, online, au. Twitter is the best place to have a yarn, at Kirk or Facebook. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for the
1: your time today, mate. That was, uh, that's amazing. Thank Let's you. No worries, Ozzy. Cheers, mate.
0: This has been Beyond the Buzz with Brendan Osborne.
1: Thanks for listening.